Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Before you listen to this podcast, be aware this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humour at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Out of the sweltering heat of summer from the attic, rafters of the ninth story. This is, in fact, the ninth story. I already blew it, but there you go. Welcome. I'm Jeanette Andromeda. I'm Immortal Alexander. Wow, and- <laughs> voice crack. And today we are interviewing one half of a pair of authors who have written a book together. And the half we are interviewing is John Brell. Yes, John and this- Brell. And this is the Ninth Story Podcast. <laughs> this is the Ninth Story Podcast. And this is episode 519. We are amazing and that's why you listen to us. Good job. His co-author is Joseph Sullivan, who's not on the show but that's awesome that we get to hear a little bit more about their collaboration when we get into that. First, we're going to do a short story from their short story collection called At the Cemetery Gates, Year One. And then we'll hear a little word from our sponsors who make it possible for us to keep doing this. And then we'll go right on into the interview. An Epistle from the Dead by John Brell and Joe Sullivan. Regina Fleck had buried her remarkable husband, Thomas Fleck, in a most remarkable mausoleum. She had been full of pride during his eulogy. It was given by a state Supreme Court justice and terrified at the prospect of a future without him. Days had passed since, and she sat with his objects in his study in remembrance of him. After looking through his desk and fingering his personal effects, Regina noticed the loosely bound manuscript, pulled it out and began to read. This would resemble my diary had it been written. As a child, I watched a cat slowly die of dehydration. For days, I'd go into the woods behind my parents' home and listen to the cat cry. It was stuck in a drainage well and couldn't turn its body. I was amazed at its will to survive. On the fourth day, it rained heavily. The cat drowned. Regina sat with the neatly written series of pages, familiar with the handwriting. 
she didn't know what to make of the first few pages. The text seemed more a story told than a life lived. At school, I helped my teachers at their menial tasks, often staying well past the final bell. The other kids resented how they favored me. I would rummage through the personal possessions of the adults and children, study the comment cards and grade books. I didn't do it for test advantage, but to study the performance, punishments, and laurels of my peers. I needed to know each and every other intimately. My entire life had been dedicated to knowing yet concealing. Regina became uneased and went to the kitchen for a drink, still clutching the papers. She skipped down the page, advancing the age of her husband, and began reading again. My first romantic attachments were to a neighborhood girl and a boy a year my elder who was employed by my father's gardener. My time spent with the weed puller caused the girl great consternation. She was sent to a facility for treatment. And of her prospects following, I have no knowledge. She was the closest I've ever felt to love. The young man's purpose to me was solely to cause jealousy. Once he was of no use, I prodded him to reveal himself to his father. He was severely beaten, and I haven't thought of him again until this moment. Regina trembled as she skipped to the middle of the following page. Why would Thomas write such things? I was attracted to Regina for her simple-mindedness. I knew early on she wouldn't delve too deeply into who I was. The more of me I hid from her, the more in control I felt. She wasn't fit to mother. I knew she'd struggle every hour caring for anything other than herself. There was a knocking at the front door, but it barely registered to Regina. She skimmed the pages that dealt with her, thinking of her virginity, childbirth, marriage. All of the great joys of her life were now tarnished. When I entered the public sphere, it was only to serve my own ends. To be thought of as an environmentalist was less advantage than I imagined. The reason I protected those stinking swamps from being paved and planted was only to put Arthur Brooks into chapter 11. To my last day, I will hold his destitution and demise as my greatest work. Regina shook visibly, thinking of all the splendid dinners she had organized for the Audubon and other various foundations that she and Thomas had sat for. The knocking at the front door grew more insistent, but she was too caught up in the horror of her husband's text. It continued, describing the tax advantages of being a homeless shelter on one of the most chemically polluted sites in the country. She made a mental note to ask her staff about rates of cancer among those living at the shelter. I would have as easily tossed my children into the river at birth, as I merely mimed the role of father, nurturer, and provider. They certainly brought me no joy in their middling triumphs, nor any worry in their mundane defeats. How could a man love or cherish anything less than his measure? These adult children of mine 
teacher, firefighter, family attorney, non-profit executive. She couldn't finish her husband's confession. She wept uncontrollably and tore the text into dozens of shredded strips, and then into minuscule bits and pieces, tossing them into the sink and running the disposal. A heavy crunching sound filled the quiet home, all the while someone was still banging on the front door. Regina turned to her husband's study, ignoring the rapping at the door and retrieving the revolver from his desk. Her hand, as if disassociated from her person, placed the barrel to her mouth and ended her life. Just days after her remarkable husband's remarkable funeral. Thomas Fleck Jr. sat and mourned with his brother and two sisters after their mother's funeral. It was all too much for the siblings, two funerals and two parents gone within two weeks' time. Thomas, how could she? Oh, the fact that you were just outside, wailed his youngest sister, Allison. I'd forgotten the key in my excitement, replied Thomas. The schoolteacher had already told the story countless times, holding the New Yorker in hand with his recently published story, spotting his mother's car in the driveway, knowing she was home, so happy to share his success with her in the midst of her mourning, and then the horror of the gunshot. I know it would have made her so proud to see your first story published, Tom, said Jennifer, his eldest sister, the attorney. I wanted it to be a surprise. I'd only shown Dad since it was such a black portrayal of someone of his stature. It was such a sloppy draft before I'd even changed all the names. His feedback was really what inspired me to finish and submit it, said Tom, openly weeping with his siblings. I would have loved for Mom to have read it. She had such a fondness for fiction. Thank you so much for listening. And now a short word from our sponsor before we get right on to the interview. Welcome, everybody, to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is episode 519. Today we have author John Brehel. Is that how you pronounce it? John Brehel? It's actually Burrell. Burrell. John Burrell. And we're, today we're talking about his book with uh, his co-author, Joseph Sullivan, and the book is called At the Cemetery Gates, Year One. And if you pause for a moment and all you hear is silence, that is Joe speaking. <laughs> <laughs> because True. he's mysterious and no one will ever see him. <laughs> Maybe not. Probably not. That's okay. As a horror book and as horror authors, I think it's very fitting. <laughs> Yeah, I've told people before that he's a ghost, so uh, I guess that if that works for you. It, it definitely does. All right, so uh, welcome to the show, John. Uh, the book you shared with us at the Cemetery Gates Year One. Uh, Short Horror Story Collection? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, it'd be classified as that, <laughs> uh, which you co-wrote with Joseph Sullivan. Uh, tell us how that partnership began. Uh, it goes all the way back to probably first grade. Oh, really? Um, yeah, Joe and I have known each other since elementary school, um, and we've been good friends ever since then. And we've just we've done a lot of creative projects over the years. Like we we, we used to be in a band together. Um, we've written 
I mean, a bunch of songs. And it was really mostly music stuff for a while. And then um, we did a bunch of YouTube videos. We tried shooting this pseudo sitcom thing for a little while. And uh, we've always been into writing and reading. Uh, and we've always talked about scary stories and stuff over the years. And just a couple years ago, we decided to uh, write this one book um, with the idea of, oh, let's write a book, like, sort of um, based on we're sort of inspired by scary stories to tell in the dark mm -hmm. and set, set all the stories in one cemetery and have all these weird connections. We put out a few more books since then. So it's been great. Nice. So is at the cemetery gates, the second one then, or is this your first one? This is actually our first collection of sort of, uh, not like a cohesive idea. Like, so tales from Mary cemetery, like I said, it was all, all took place in this one cemetery. And then we had our second book, book was Marvelous Curiosity Shop, and that was about, uh, those are all interconnected short stories as well to, uh, that involved a magician and these haunted antiques and whatnot. And then, so this is our third book, actually. Nice. How does the co-writing process work between you and Joseph? Hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a little weird. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we get together in person and write together. Um, and like kind of hash things out like one sentence at a time. But for the most part, I mean, we see each other maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, um, sometimes a little more than that. But uh, for the most part, it's like Google Docs. We, we, uh, we have Google, Google Doc going always all the time of whatever book we're working on. Hmm. And um, generally like we'll hash out some sort of outline for the story. So we don't really write any story until we have like the whole, you know, inciting incident all the way to the, you know, to the end and whatnot. I'll pop in and write a few more paragraphs and then he'll pop in and say, what's wrong with all this stuff you wrote? <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll pop in and say, what's wrong with all the stuff you wrote? And we kind of, uh, change each other's stuff, uh, back and forth. And, um, so it's, uh, but we've kind of figured out a way to sort of write, um, like unify our styles together so we're not like writing like you know have completely two different voices mm -hmm. um that's what we've kind of found over there i don't know we've kind of found like a sweet spot where we um you know we sound alike i think i think we all we started with similar sensibilities anyway as the kind of the kind of writing we like mm -hmm. and uh so i think it's just been a, a easier to make that happen we're not like it's not like trying to uh you know have hemingway paired up with lewis carroll or something <laughs> i mean it's not like totally disparate thing yeah i as we were reading the stories i really couldn't tell that there were multiple authors it it all felt very cohesive so you guys do a really great job working together that way well that's that's good to know i mean that's that's, that's the idea um so uh yeah thank you mm -hmm. <laughs> and john how did you first get into writing in the first place um so i guess uh i mean i used to be I used to write stories a lot when I was little. Um, uh, that usually had mostly to do with writing comic books. So I had a comic book called Smiley Guy uh, for a couple of years. It was actually about this evil. It started the it started a villain. So that was my first foray into I guess, writing seriously, quote unquote. Um, and then, uh, in terms of just being a writer overall, nonfiction, fiction, um, I I've been like a I was a freelance writer for a long time um, in terms of writing like marketing stuff mm -hmm. magazine magazine stuff and whatnot that's awesome so were you influenced by any writers or what are some of your favorite writers that have really 
affected how you write and the storytelling that you tell? Yeah, because there's, a, I mean, I definitely think there's a difference between the writers I like and the kind of writers that I want to sort of emulate in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to like completely emulate or, uh, any writer. I want to do, do my own thing um, or our, our own thing with me and Joe. Um, but uh, I would say um, Richard Matheson is probably one of my biggest, uh, my favorite writers ever. You guys familiar with him? I have not, actually. He's, um, yeah, he actually um, wrote a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Oh. Um, so that's, I think that's where I might have first heard about him. Um, but, like, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I just eat off. Like, like these kind of weird, fantastical, sort of, sort of scary stories. Mm -hmm. that have like a really crazy twist at the end um that's just i just love that kind of stuff so yeah, i mean I, I did watch a lot of twilight zone growing up uh, it's definitely still always always stuck with me oh yeah oh right on yeah it's like the best show ever um, <laughs> so yeah richard matheson like he's like a master of that sort of stuff so um i kind of would would love to you know write stories like as great as he does um well and and based on at cemetery at the cemetery gates rather um you definitely dove into that style, that just very like concise, almost folklore style writing. Mm -hmm. It, in a way, it reminded me of um, the sketchbook of Gorian. Oh, I'm messing up the name, but um, the one with Sleepy Hollow in it. Why I can't remember oh, that. Right Washington moment. Irving. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good lord, my brain is just gone today. But Washington Irving's sketchbook, that one, it kind of reminded me of like the stories in there where it felt very American folktale-ish. And, um, and again, like you just nailed, you nailed the scary stories to tell in the dark. Like if people like that, they're going to really like your writing style. And uh, I, I, as a fan of that, now I can come back to the question that I had for you before, which is the illustration on the front is amazing. And can you please oh, cool. tell me some more about Chad Whirl? And uh, how you guys connected with him? Yeah. So um, yeah. So when we did that first book, Tales of Tales from Gravy Cemetery, uh, like I said, we had the idea we want to make this like a scary stories thing. And so um, I was like, okay, where am I going to find this guy? I and mean, we can go on like you know deviant art. And so I just went to Instagram and I literally just put in the hashtag scary stories to tell in the dark. And just searched it, and like he had of course tagged all, a lot of his art work mm -hmm. with that style because he's a huge Stephen Gamble scary stories fan. And so I was like, Joe, this guy's perfect. Look at this guy. And uh, John, let's talk a little bit more about At the Cemetery Gates, uh, year one. Uh, so I'm guessing you're, you're, you're in intending to do more of these. We intend on doing more. I don't think it's going to be like an annual thing. Mm -hmm. So the, the idea with the year one thing was actually, um, it was sort of like a celebration, whatnot, of like our first year writing together as a, as a um, duo. And one of the stories that we read in the uh, book was called The Burial Vault. Uh, can you describe the basic setup for the audience? Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, so there's these group of friends, um, high school friends, um, who um, they meet up at this burial vault. They tell a story of this kid who was locked inside of this vault and ended up coming out and mauling people and it was like this uh they're telling a legend within this actual legend that we're telling i really enjoyed this story i enjoyed a lot of this all of the stories let's be honest <laughs> it was hard putting Thanks. your book down um but this one in particular just felt so 
this one felt a little Stephen Kingy, and I think mostly because of like that group of friends, kind of like an it where they have mm-hmm. like this mythos that they're building, and then horrible things start happening, mm-hmm. and <laughs> that was really disturbing where that turned. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, we weren't thinking Stephen King at all, um, but uh, yeah, like, and going back to like sort of going back to the thing you're talking about, like folk, folklore sort of stuff. Like we're really into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of with the stories that we've been telling um, and, and like making them sort of like these almost like fairy tales sort of uh, just legends and not really writing them specifically as like stylized short stories as much mm-hmm. um, that we're, we're trying to actually do more of that now like right like more just it's like a different sort of thing you know like a short story and like a folktale sort of thing they definitely have that vibe and I'm curious, when you were writing this story, did you find yourself more connected to the main character or the brother? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on, you know, if you read the story um, and, you know, you find out the outcome of the story. I don't know. I feel like I've, I felt like both people <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what it's like to have a, um, a younger sibling sort of, you know, go away. I'm doing my own thing. So do you have any siblings? Like to be shunned. Um, yeah, I have two younger sisters. Oh, nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love them, though. I don't mean to say anything like, oh, like, I go away. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the past, yeah, maybe when I was younger. Oh, of course. Yeah. When you're the older sibling, you kind of say, hey, you're annoying. Go away. I'm too yeah. cool for you. And Yeah, so <laughs> cool. I was such a cool teenager. <laughs> we all were. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so did your, any of your experiences growing up kind of like feed into this story? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I never actually like did anything like that. I met up with a group of friends and told scary stories and that sort of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did do a lot of, not when I was like a kid that young, but in my early, earlier twenties, Joe and I actually used to go to, to a lot of places that like we would go to vaults and like random cemeteries and stuff and kind of uh investigate nice <laughs> that's awesome um, one of the other stories you read was called uh, delaying decay which is about two boys finding something very strange in a funeral home uh this is one of my favorites from the book uh it felt very much like it was set in the 1950s somewhere in the south at least in my head uh and what was your inspiration for this story yeah so um this story is it was actually set in um the fictional town of Leicestershire, which is where we said a lot of our stories in our books. Um, Leicestershire is actually actually the name, the former name of Johnson City, which is where we grew up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like you know everybody knows knows what it's like to be a kid on a um, uh, you know like a summer day and be kind of bored and yeah, sort sort of going around town and like being mischievous and whatnot. Yeah, the 50, yeah, totally that 50s thing. I think I could see where you're coming from with that. Um, I don't even know why. It's one of those things I can't even put a pin, like, uh, pin down. But I, I see where you're at. I see where you're at with that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, kind of like, like an it vibe like when they were younger and, and, or like a stand by me or something. I kind of had that vibe when I was reading it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's probably was in our subconscious or something when we were writing it. Sure. Yeah, those, those stories kind of weave into our brains. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. And once the kids descend down into the basement of the funeral home, um, what's going on down there, uh, the way you described it was really awesome. It kind of reminded me of Return of the Living Dead. 
which I just <laughs> kind of giggled inside when I was reading it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Again, that was not intentional, but yeah, we like we like that movie as well. Um, yeah, so they go down there and they're witness to um, a procedure on uh, an elderly woman uh, uh, on one of those like a you know a slab. It's a pretty ghastly thing. <laughs> I know. giving anything away it's it's kind of hard talking about your stories because so much of them like have this great setup yeah. and then go you, like that twist ending you were talking about you just like bam like into the next thing <laughs> which it's like especially in your story and an epistle from the dead um where a mom finds a diary of her recently deceased husband and things happen but that uh-huh. that oh my god God, that one's just messed up where you took that. <laughs> I I like how like connected we felt to the mother's headspace and and how she was like disconnected from the rest of the world as as she was reading this thing. And I'm curious like how did you and and Joseph like get into that headspace there and and be so honest with that with her emotional reaction? Mm, that is a good question. Um yeah, like I said, it's kind of hard when it's the two of us because uh, I can't really speak to Joe exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think we were actually having this conversation earlier about um, trying to be authentic and um, something we're, we're trying, a story we're trying to tell or a scene we're trying to tell. And Joe actually said to me, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, literally, you should just go and write what you said back then because it's like, you know, and put your stuff in that headspace and what you were thinking, what you wanted to say to this person. And the twist at the end of where I, I believe is that's where the real dread lies in the story. Oh, yeah. And I really appreciate that because some endings in a story you can see coming a mile away. And by the time you actually get to the end of the story, it really lessens the impact and kind of feels soft at the end. Whereas this one was really, really kind of a punch to the face. It made it worse. <laughs> like <laughs> Finding out what the truth behind this was made it so much worse. <laughs> It's a little tragic, I guess. It really yeah. is. It was just like, I don't know, uh, kind of classic. And it's it's just like l- depth of tragedy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sort of took something worse. And yeah, yeah, it took something bad and made it worse. But uh, <laughs> the funny thing with that, I guess that's a good uh, instance of sort of our core writing thing. And this is, I guess this is sort of self-serving because it'll make me look, look good <laughs> over Joe, but not really. And uh, yeah, so Joe actually wrote, the story and sort of ended it at the part where you know before it transitioned mm-hmm. you guys know yeah so he ended it there and i was just like well i was like well what's the twist joe <laughs> i was just like when you gotta have that t- you know that twist or something that's sort of like is a little more unexpected and whatnot because i just felt like okay yeah sure that's uh sure maybe she would you know that would happen it, it's definitely to me, it reminded me of, like, bad breakups. Yeah. You know, like, when somebody leaves you, like, a breakup letter or something, and they're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you face-to-face. Here's a letter because I'm, not, I'm a coward, and I'm not going to tell you why. Mm-hmm. And, and you just read it, and you never saw it coming, and it's kind of like this gut punch. So I've kind of experienced similar things where I've gotten, like, breakup letters instead of face-to-faces. So, yeah, yeah. it kind of reminded me of that. Ooh. That's rough. That's, that's so low. I've also been a victim of that. Ouch. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> have some, you know, have some backbone. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> seriously. But yeah, um, that sort of thing. I think like one of the like most horrific things um, is actually yeah finding something out about someone that 
you know, new trust to be turning out to be like a bad thing. So uh, the next story that we did want to talk about was perpetual was perpetual subject. That one had me just like gasping. So this story was about a girl doing a year long photo project, and to her dismay. Something keeps getting closer in every photo, and it's really disturbing. Um, and and se- seriously, this was... Very <laughs> I was just like... I, I kept like yelling at my Kindle. I was just like, what? No! <gasps> I was very shocked. And like, this is the one where, like, before we started properly recording, I was like, time travel. I see a theme. <laughs> John, I do want to ask you, like, what is your fascination with time travel? Because I see a lot of that in elements in your stories, like throughout this, throughout this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been huge into time travel ever since I was a little kid. Um, so, uh, the, the first movie that I like really, really fell in love with was back to the future. And it was probably going back like as early as elementary school. Well, mm-hmm. it was, cause I remember, uh, specifically dressing up like Marty McFly in like third grade. Awesome. I wear this like jean jacket with like my puffy coat over it. And it's like, I mean, I went full on. I had the red shirt, I had the white button up and the Nikes. Like I just went full on with it. <laughs> and so I've always been into that, uh, uh, peaked by that idea. I mean, Bill and Ted and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I even, I, I've seen a lot of time travel movies. There's this really cool one called time crimes from like several years ago. Did mm-hmm. you guys see that? No, I haven't seen that one. That's like um, that's like a that screws with your mind so much. You gotta check that out. But yeah, that just the idea of going back in time and uh, being able to change things and I don't know, there's something about it that's just so fun and interesting. Have you seen the movie uh, Safety Not Guaranteed? I have not seen that. I think I might have. Is is it got time travel on it? Yes. Okay. I think I've I've actually probably read I've read a lot of blogs that are like the best time travel movie, you know, stuff like that. I think that's why. It's an excellent film. I I think it's really interesting. It's more of like a love letter to kind of years going past. This guy's seemed kind of stuck uh, in, in, in his past life. And in this one moment that specifically defines him and he wants to go in the past. So he puts on a, a post, like a blind post saying uh, looking time traveler, looking for companion safety, not guaranteed. Mm. Um, in the paper and so people someone you know this lady who's a, a journalist she you know jumps in she sees like a story there and then slowly but surely she kind of gets to know this gentleman and and tries to figure out whether this guy is really a time traveler or he has the ability to time travel or whether he's more interesting than the uh, concept of what he's trying to accomplish if it's real or not hmm. okay i need to see that um i really enjoyed perpetual subject as a story, but I found myself a little sad about the somewhat unresolved bullying issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? But yeah, in terms of resolving that, I guess, um, Hmm. Uh, geez, I feel like <laughs> I guess maybe we missed out on that, on an opportunity. Um, yeah, it's a really impactful story. Yeah, it is. Um, I definitely was hoping it went in another direction at the end, but I did understand, like I really got wanted to understand what she was thinking but I guess the mystery of it adds to the melancholy, like a modern version of a classic ghost story where you really don't get all the bits and pieces and it just kind of, that melancholy kind of washes over the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it might have, now that I think about it, it might have been something that Joe and I sort of brought up and it was one of those things like, no, we don't need to, we don't need to like tie that end up. And I, I kind of like where it ended though. 
um, simply because it, it, it allowed her as a character to go from being kind of a, a classic ignored victim to something a little bit more powerful. Um, but I'll pause that conversation there. And guys, again, if you're, if you're curious, you should go read the book because that's all <laughs> we're going to tell you. Um, and so, John, what else are you working on currently? Um, so, um, as I mentioned before, we're actually working on a, um, a book with Chad Worley, fully illustrated um, book in, in this thing. Like, so it's her story, folklore, so it's urban writing. Awesome. And are you going to, is the, the overall, like, feel of the writing going to be similar to this one, or are you kind of, like, branching further into a different style on this next collection? I think it's definitely, um, there's a lot of similarities. I think there is a lot of that same sort of folkloric, sort of direct storytelling, but we are trying to, uh, just for our own personal uh, progression as writers, to uh, get delve a little more into description and building dread in that sort of way, mm-hmm. um, which is something we uh, um, haven't really focused on as much before. We're, like, we're just like, we're just plot addicts. We're just like, plot, <laughs> plot, the plot. And um, yeah, I think building, you know, I think people who read horror and fantasy and that sort of stuff like that visceral you know, description, um, dread building sort of thing. So that's something we're, that's, there's going to be more of that in our future Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I think if our audience, anybody in our audience that really enjoys um, short horror fiction, something just really satisfying to write, read before bed, you know, these kind of quick but powerful and, and, and really kind of stories that stay with you, I, I really enjoyed this book, and I think that they will enjoy it as well. Um, so, John, where can people find, where can our audience find more of your work and Joseph's works as well? So I would probably suggest you just go on Amazon <laughs> and searching uh, Varel and Sullivan. But actually, um, uh, really the best thing is to just follow us on social media. Uh, we're pretty active on social media. I mean, we have a website, but it's, uh, yeah, we, yeah, it's, not, it's not updated nearly as much as uh, uh, like our Facebook and Instagram. So on Facebook, uh, it's facebook.com slash Cemetery Based Media. On Instagram, uh, it's also Cemetery Based Media, I want to say, or Cemetery Gates M. Should have, oh, Cemetery Gates M is our, our username. And then I, I'm also uh, really active on Twitter. Um, and that's John Burrell, J-O-H-N-B-R-A-T-L. Awesome. And for everybody listening, um, we will have all of these links in our show notes on podcast.ninthstory.com slash... 518. 519, actually. 519. 519. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're both sleepy. Oh, my gosh. And um, we also turned off our fans, and now the heat's just, like, starting to bake into our brains. So thank you for uh, (laughs) turning off yours and and talking with us. Not your brain, but your fan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe I turned that off, too. Uh, Nah. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining us, John. And and thank you for sharing your book with us. Like, that was an incredible read. I'm so glad. Thank you. It was it was right yeah, on. Thank you so much, John. Right on par. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really we're uh, I'm really happy that you guys enjoyed it, and I'm yeah sure Joe Joe will be um, over the moon that you enjoyed it as well. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks a lot, guys, for having me on here. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ninth Story, and if you need any of the show notes or anything we've talked about, you will find it on podcast.ninthstory.com/slash five nineteen. And uh, if you want to talk to us about it, you can find us. 
on Twitter. That's the best place to find us, at Ninth Story Podcast. And if you enjoy the Ninth Story Podcast, you should please, please, please go check out the Wicked Library Podcast. They have amazing short horror stories, extraordinarily performed. So if you like the stories that we do at the beginning of the show, if you want something a little more produced, a little more pizzazz, and just story, story, story with a cool interview at the back end done by Miss Andromeda. That's me. You can go check out the Wicked Library on Stitcher or any podcatcher that you use. And question of the day. Question of the week. Question of the week. Oh, I guess it is a weekly question, (laughs) isn't it? We only talk to you once a week. Yes. Unless you talk to us on Twitter. In which case, it is a question of the day. However, question of the week is, in what sweltering pit of hell... <laughs> mm-hmm. Keep going. My is going. Do you, <laughs> do you think all of the left socks go to... Yeah. it's a good question. <laughs> tweet there, us at... There's a lot of them. Tweet us at Ninth Story Podcast on Twitter. Please... Please follow us on Twitter. We have a brand new Twitter account specifically just for this show. Please follow us over there. We have a paltry 70 people following us, but we love you all that do follow us. Hey, don't call them chickens. Not poultry, poultry. (laughs) But we want more. We want everybody. All of our authors do follow us that have been on the show do follow us on Twitter. So if you want to have be part of a bigger conversation or ask us something specific or tell us about where you think all the left socks have gone. Find us on Twitter at Ninth Story Podcast. Regardless of that, stay creative, my friends. Bazinga. That is not our catchphrase. Erase nope. that from your memory. Oh, God. Good job. Oh, no, 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 no. Not, not that. Oh, you shouldn't have erased that. Sorry. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Skype Call Testing Service. After the beep, please record ears. a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Hey, Skype, you're a loud, loud lady. Shut your mouth, Skype. Oh. Waka chicka, waka chicka, waka chicka. Hey, Skype, you're a loud, loud lady. Shut your mouth, Skype. Oh. Waka chicka. If you are able to hear your own voice, then you have configured Skype correctly. If you hear this message, but not your own voice, and something is wrong with your audio recording settings. Please check your microphone and mm-hmm. microphone settings or visit nah, Skype.com for more help. Thank you for using the Skype call testing service. Goodbye. Shut your mouth. Goodbye, Skype. <laughs> Until next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.